What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. We've got a regular Cold Seat episode coming at you today, episode 37. Going to get a little NHL overview, a little golf overview. Uh, one big piece of NBA trade news we'll hit on. And then we've got our, NA, our NFL uh, honors predictions, a senior, a little bit of a senior bowl recap. Um, I haven't gotten into it too deep myself. We'll give you guys NFL honors predictions. Um, and then co- any, I don't think we've had any coaching hires. If we get one live, certainly throw one in there. We kept it on just in case. Um, first off, we're going to start about turning up the heat. And I will let Brett this week kick us off cranking up the heat on the podcast today. Yeah, this is going to be in the same uh, categories last week with the uh, food and drink takes. I think uh, sweet potatoes are incredible. I saw some slander on Twitter uh, regarding sweet potatoes and how they are overrated. Uh, so I just had to put that to bed that sweet potatoes are one of the most underrated foods and the healthiest carbs for you. And I would consider myself pretty pretty picky eater. And I just think that sweet potatoes are incredible. And I don't know, for some reason, I really like them. I like regular potatoes as well, baked, mashed anyway. But um, but yeah, they're really good. And I just thought that that should be put out there. They're undefeated. And if you don't like them, you should try them again. Brother, that is incredibly ironic because I literally had sweet potatoes last night with my dinner. Diced up in the oven, a little salt, pepper, onion powder a little bit. Uh, dude, they're incredible. They're so good. You can eat them like fries. You can bake them. You can do like I like a little home fries type deal in the oven. Um, really very very good i'm a big fan obviously potatoes are good but i think sweet potatoes it's a nice change of pace um maybe not every single day but it's a great change of pace with a nice meal um but yeah i'm going a different route i've got a sports hot take and i'll i'll get the ice bath with a non-sports take this week um kind of going around twitter this week obviously we don't have all 22 access i wish we did it'd be great um but you know it seems like the scouting community kind of puts out their all 22 tape and everyone kind of sees these revelations about players. Um, you know, last week was Kalaja Kansi when everyone was kind of doing their IDL stuff. And then they all got all this all 22 film of Kalaja Kansi, the pit defensive tackle. And um, he kind of blew up. And so this week, every, obviously everyone knew B. John Robinson was a, an absolute stud and um, is going to be a stud in the NFL, but all the all 22 tips kind of like coming out on him. And it's just the most otherworldly stuff he's doing on this all 22 tape. Um, so my hot take this week, turning up the heat, is going to be that Bijan Robinson is going to be no lower than number two on my overall draft board, um, and he should be a locked top ten pick. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a hot take, but him, I think he's going to be a Bell Boy Anderson for me. Um, having watched Will already, having done some a lot of a lot of watching of the Georgia team, I've watched give him give them two passes now, watching Keeley and uh, Keeley Ringo, their corner and uh, edge rusher Nolan Smith. So I've seen a lot of Jalen Carter. Have a pretty strong feeling he's going to be number one, just considering the um, rare talent he is at, uh, you know, at, at, at the, at the interior defensive line position, but Beers and Robbins is probably gonna be no lower than number two on my list. Um, I think he's the best running back talent we've ever seen since Adrian Peterson. Um, you know, I, I think the difference, like people point to Saquon and I think that, um, you know, Bijan's ability as a pass catcher and as a wide receiver, um, exceed the power dynamic that Saquon brought to the table, the blend of power and speed, um, you know, I think Saqu- or you know Saquon's definitely a great re- you know great receiving threat. Um, Bijan can do the power stuff as well, but you could line Bijan re- Bijan Robinson up at slot receiver for an entire game, like 100% of your snaps offensively, and he would succeed and win in the slot on most of his reps. And so you just don't see that um, that that combination with the elite ability to run the ball. So um, 
yeah, I just it's 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 ridiculous to me. So that's my hot take for the week. Um, we'll kind of get it into the episode here. Actually, I'll, I'll let you comment on that. I commented on yours. I'll let you get a little take on that if you want to. Then we'll get into the episode. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Bijan's a guy that obviously a lot of people are talking about. Uh, really high caliber talent, uh, rare abilities. Just in terms of the combination of things he brings to the table, I haven't gotten to him yet. Obviously, running backs are in a little bit here in our position rankings every Friday. Uh, but when I do, definitely be fun to look at, fun to watch, fun to talk about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can't knock it too much. Haven't really seen a whole lot on him outside of the game. We watched him play live and I think one other game we watched probably. So with that, we are going to get into the first bit of our episode um, after we turn up the heat is the NHL standings update. So last week we had NBA. We're alternating with NBA and NHL. Just giving a standings update. Um, I'll kick it off here with the Eastern Conference. So in first place, we have the Boston Bruins, 39-7-5, and and they have 83 total points, by far the best team in the league right now. In second, we have the Carolina Hurricanes. They're 34-9-8. and They're seven points back. We have the New Jersey Devils at 33-13-4 at 13 points back. Toronto Maple Leafs, 31-13-8 at 13 points back as well. Tampa Bay Lightning at 32-16-1, 18 points back. New York Rangers at 28-14-8, and and they are 19 points back. And the Washington Capitals at 27-20-6 at 23 points back. And rounding out the playoff teams as of now, the top eight teams in each conference, are the Pittsburgh Penguins at 24-16-9. They are 26 points back. So while... The Eastern Conference is more top-heavy. The Western Conference is much closer and, I mean, much, much closer. And any team in the West could, you know, turn it on and become the one seed at any time. Feels like we're seeing a replication of the uh, the NBA rankings here, East and West. Um, like you said, Eastern Conference a little tighter. Um, you know, Western Conference, I guess it's really flipped. Um, you know, if you've got in the Eastern Conference, in the, in the NBA, you've got a little more separation at the top, whereas in the um, – you know, in the West, or I guess in the West, it's a little tighter kind of throughout. Um, I guess towards the bottom, there's a separation at the top again here. Um, but kind of clear tiers here in, in, in both conferences. But um, starting out at the bottom here in the at number eight spot is the Flames. Uh, 10 points back at 27, 17 at 10. The Wild are also 10 points back. I guess tied there at eighth, I suppose. Um, coming in at seventh, they're the Oilers, eight points back. Golden Knights sitting at six points back at number five. At number four, uh, I guess tied at number Number three, I suppose, is the Kraken and the Kings at five points back. Uh, you've got the Jets in second place at three points back. And you've got the Dallas Stars leading the way at 68 points at 29, 13, and 10. Um, you know, Stars are a team that made it a pretty long way last year. I know that obviously this swing into the season. But, um, you know, again, a lot of teams can make some noise here in the Western Conference. Um, you know, you see 10 points separate one and eight. So, um more as opposed to in the Eastern Conference, you've got a you know a, a 26 point gap between um, you know one and eight, and you've got a seven point gap between one and seven, or sorry, one and two. My apologies. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, a little different here, but um, kind of seeing some separation in the East. Should see some separation in the West, kind of as as we keep going through um, the season here. That kind of wraps it up for the NHL, and I will let Brett take us over to golf, and then we'll get into NBA and NFL following that. Yeah, for sure. Um... Next week, we'll have NBA rankings, like I said. It should be interesting to see how those alter, if they did at all. Um, but for now, we're talking about golf. So this past weekend wrapped up a couple of days ago, um, or actually yesterday. It was a win delayed at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am in California. They play at three different courses. Um, 
The European Justin Rose took home the dub at 18 under, winning by three strokes. His first win in what seems to be like forever, but I think about two years or so. So still a good bit of time for him. He shot 69, 69, 65, and 66 on the final day and took home 1.62 mil. And then after him, 15 of the next 17 golfers on the leaderboard were from the U.S., so strong representation there. Um, you know, guys, obviously, the Americans have played the course much more. One of the most iconic courses, you know, as you're going through the amateur rankings and stuff like that, uh, those guys want to play the big-time courses, and Pebble Beach is definitely one of those within the States. Um but this upcoming weekend, we have another iconic uh, event. We have the Waste Management Phoenix Open. It is played at TBC Scottsdale Stadium course uh, in Scottsdale, Arizona. So Scotty Scheffler won it last year on his climb to world number one. Uh, one of the first, one of the first like wins of his like seven, I think he had last year. And with the twenty million dollar purse this season, expect some bigger payouts in what is a normally loaded field for this event. Another course that a lot of amateurs want to play growing up to get, you know, to increase their rankings and stuff like that. So it's definitely a fun time to be in Arizona, you know, with this going on in the Super Bowl on Sunday and the final round of the waste management on Sunday as well. Um, not sure how far Glendale and Scottsdale are apart from each other. But I definitely think there's gonna be some people, you know, hitting up the first few days at the waste management and then had nowhere to glendale for the super bowl so fun time to be in arizona i wish i could go to either of them but sadly i can't nonetheless should be fun to see how this event turns out this weekend yeah no definitely going to be interesting to see again it's um you know a lot of a lot of quality golf should be played um you know 20 million dollar purses i mean pretty wild um but again you're talking about seeing bigger purse payouts this year um which PGA is kind of expected was expected to do, um, just with the live jacking up their purses and payouts. So, um, but should be a loaded field. It should be great. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Kind of golf really picking up here, um, starting with the Pebble Beach Pro Am, and then really getting into legitimate, um, you know, tournament play here. So excited to see golf kind of get back going again. I'm not, I'm not a golf, a, a golf fan that watches Thursday, you know, every hole Thursday through Saturday, Sunday, but. I do enjoy watching on Saturdays and Sundays, especially on Sundays, kind of in the the waning, um, you know, hours of the tournament. So really looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, Arizona, talk about Arizona getting a, a huge economic boost these past, I guess, really this week with um, with the Waste Management Open in Phoenix and then uh, Super Bowl being there as well. So pretty crazy week. Um, you could probably catch both for the most part if you were there, which probably be an epic sports weekend. Um, maybe even a Suns game if they're home. So that'd be pretty cool. But again, um, crazy stuff going on in Arizona and should be an awesome sports weekend there as a whole, um, which we'll kind of get to coming up. But first in the NBA, got a big trade news coming in uh, yesterday. Uh, Brooklyn Nets traded, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, all-star point guard Kyrie Irving to the Dallas Mavericks in exchange for Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, a 2029 first rounder and 2027 and 2029 second round picks. Uh, Markeith Morris joins Kyrie in Dallas heading over there from Brooklyn as well. Um, one of the main suitors that kind of opened up for, for Kyrie from the get was Dallas. I'm not, sh- sh- not shocked that they made this move. Um, you know, they, they needed to get another superstar in there. They, they tried to do, they tried to when they added Christian Wood this offseason. Um, you know, still going to have some holes defensively. That team already had holes defensively and getting rid of Finney Smith and Dinwiddie doesn't really help those holes, but again, um, they were going to have that, that issue anyways. Be curious to see if they make any other smaller moves at the deadline or if anybody that gets bought out kind of the deadline or gets waived or whatever, um, if they get picked up by the Mavs 
or if the Mavs go kind of pick up just a, a veteran that's on the on the free agent market right now. Um, be curious to see. But I think this move ultimately, I mean, it, I think long term it's going to absolutely blow up in Dallas's face like every other team that's traded for Kyrie. But I think in the short term, this definitely gives them a little bit of a boost. Um, I just don't know if it gets them out of the West still. I think, um, you know, they go play Denver in a series. I don't know who's going to stop Jokic. And when that Denver team's healthy, they look, they look like one of the best teams in the NBA right now. So, I mean, obviously they're top of the West, but um, I just don't know how anyone on that Dallas team's going to stop Jokic in a seven-game series. So that's my still my main concern with Dallas. But, again, this is a good move, um, an advisable move, at least for the short-term future. So it'd be interesting to see how Kyrie's contract situation plays out. But um, certainly, like I said, for for, for the to here and now, um, a solid basketball move overall. Yeah, I liked it. it was definitely, like you said, one of the main uh, suitors for him with this trade and with him wanting to be traded by that deadline. The only thing is Kyrie and Luca being in the same position, basically both in the backcourt, um, don't play much defense. You traded Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie, who were two of the Mavericks' better defenders. You're losing a lot of defense in that, um, while your scoring is going to be pretty um, you know, casual and it's not going to take too much effort to put points on the board. You got to outscore the other team as well, and I think they might have a tough time, at least not for the most time, but at least for some games. Um, and, you know, they're going to suffer some losses because of that. I just think if they were going to get another star caliber player, it should have been a big a four or a five rather than, you know, Kyrie. I think just with him and Luca playing together, it's going to work out well for the most part, but there's still going to be occasions where they're going to be, you know, arguing or bo- they're both going to want to take the shot or whatever. Um, I mean, we've seen that happen before with a couple scenarios, but. Overall, I think it was a good move. I think Kyrie's going to pay dividends there for the Mavericks. And you know, the Mavericks, I think, are the sixth seed right now uh, in the West, and I think they probably get to top four with this move and maybe three. Um, but, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see how this plays out down the stretch of the season as we are approaching the All-Star break. Um, Kyrie will have plenty of time to you know, build chemistry with the guys as they have about four games left, I think, before the break. Um, but that's pretty much it for NBA. Honestly, not too much going on. Like I said, standings update next week. But pretty much for the rest of the episode, we're just going to be talking about NFL. We got Senior Bowl recap. Uh, we have the NFL Honors predictions, which are going to be – NFL Honors is going to take place Thursday at 8 p.m. Central, and they're going to be announcing a multitude of awards like MVP, Offensive Player of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Offensive and Defensive Rookies of the Year. Coach of the Year, Comeback Player of the Year, Walter Payton Man of the Year, and a few other uh, not-so-big ones. And then finally, we're going to have some coaching higher updates. I know there are about two or three this week uh, that we'll touch on. But, yeah, I mean, start off Senior Bowl if you want to, you know, talk about what you saw this week or what you want to see and kind of who jumped out. Yeah, um, certainly. I think first off, first thing that comes to mind is Darnell Wright had a great week. Dewan Jones had a really good week as well. Um, yeah, I think it was it, – it, Senior Bowl was missing the on-field top talent we've seen in the past few years. Whether that was, you know, in 2020, you know, you had Herbert, you had Love, or Jordan Love, you had Jalen Hurts there. Um, you know, last year you had Jermaine Johnson. Obviously, you would have had Tyree Wilson, Dalton Kincaid. Um, both didn't, both didn't play due to injury this year. Um, so you still had some other bigger names. Um, just didn't really have the blue chip name per se. Um, but again, Darnell Wright. Had a great week. Um, interesting week kind of for the running backs. I think, you know, obviously um, Roshan Johnson looked a great day one, gets hurt, gets replaced by Red Raider Sir Roderick Thompson, who actually had a really good week from what it sounds like. Um, 
you know, Keanu Benton's another guy in IDL from Wisconsin who had a great first day, um, kind of got banged up. But again, um, overall, I thought it was uh, an impressive week for most guys. I don't think there's anybody that, you know, was a big loser by any means. Um, you know, you really come away with winners. So I think um, I'll highlight a couple guys that I think um, gave their stock a huge boost. You know, obviously either they came in with, with high stock or they kind of came in as an unknown and left with high stock. Um, but I'll give two. Uh, one being Jaden Reed, a receiver out of Michigan State, a guy who I thought would declare last year. Um, didn't, came back for his uh, final year at Michigan State. Had a really good year. Um it wasn't a, a great year, a great senior bowl for the receiving the receiving class, but um, thought Jaden Reed had a really good senior bowl. Displayed his explosiveness, his his um, just yak ability, ability to just kind of separate a little bit. Um, got plus return ability as well. So got a good weekend. Then I'll give another one, a bigger name, and Luke Musgrave, tight end from Oregon State. Only played two games this year. Um, got hurt. I believe he was it. He had a pretty serious injury in week three, um, causing him to miss the whole year. Um, Finally got healthy, got to the senior bowl, played well. Um, really, really explosive after the catch. So um, certainly a guy that was just looking to kind of confirm what you thought you saw on tape before I got hurt. So, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find the list of awards they gave out, um, you know, for players of the week. So we'll kind of get to that in a second. But I'll let you get your, your couple guys you wanted to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Senior bowl. Um, I'm going to watch a lot of stuff, I think, this upcoming weekend as I have yeah. four tests this week. and. I'm just kind of, you know, putting off the senior bowl a little bit, but I did want to, I did see some things uh, while it was going on and stuff. Um, There's a few pages on Twitter that posted some really good highlights and some good footage overall of one-on-ones. Cause that's mainly the thing everyone wants to look at. Uh, I will say Max Duggan didn't play too well in the game. I think he was four for nine with a fumble. Um, that's something notable just because of, you know, took his team to the natty and stuff like that. Um, but on a positive note, my guy Tank Dell, uh, Nathaniel Dell, balled out uh, one-on-ones. Nobody could guard him, no matter who it was. Shiftiest guy in the class, easily. And, you know, he led the league in receptions, receiving yards, t- like second in touchdowns, I think. So big, big-time guy. Another guy was Kenny McIntosh, uh, the running back from Georgia. Uh, he balled out as well. He's really good as a blocker and as one-on-ones, you know, picking up linebackers. Uh, that's always a big thing. We saw Brian Robinson do a really good job of it at the Senior Bowl last year against Channing Tindall. Um, you know, McIntosh is a guy that I like. He's going to be a later round guy, obviously, but I think, you know, he could sneak in to some people's top five running backs uh, when you think about it. Obviously, there's a lot of running backs out there. You got Bijan, Gibbs, um, you know, Charbonnet, Spears, Evans, uh, Tank Bigsby, but Kenny McIntosh is another guy. Him and Deuce Vaughn, I think, are wild cards for this draft just because. You know, obviously, McIntosh has had a ton of reps, a ton of snaps, um, has had a lot of experience there at uh, Georgia. And same with Deuce. While he was only at, you know, K-State three years, he offers a unique skill set. And so there's a lot of running backs in this class overall. And I think just talking about McIntosh, he's definitely a guy that I could see someone taking earlier than expected. Yeah, I'll throw another running back and running back name in there. Um, Tajay Spears obviously showed a lot of people what he can do against that, against USC, um, and then followed it up with a really good, really solid senior bowl. I think the running backs had a great week. I think we can, like I alluded to, the running backs had a great week. McIntosh had an awesome week. Um, but Spears, I mean, he at five nine, two hundred pounds, is what he weighed in at, and, and was height, what his height was charted at. Um, 
displayed really, really good ability to catch the ball and, and get open in his routes. Um, stop on a dime, looked great. And then I'll, I'll throw a receiver at you. Um, and again, it wasn't a great weekend for the week for the receivers. Obviously, Tank Dell had a monster week. I wanted to let you get him. Uh, Jane Reed, I think, had a good week as well, like I said. But Michael Wilson, a receiver from, from Stanford, had a really, really consistent week, I thought. Dominated one-on-ones as well. Um, gave his teammate, Keith, Kai Blue Kelly, the business in, the, in one-on-ones a couple times. Um, I mean, maybe ran the best routes all week, I think, consistently. Um, you know, Tank Dell's a guy who got open with speed a lot and agility. I think Michael Wilson was maybe the smoothest route runner of the week, I think. Um, and then and then I'll throw one more at you, know, and I'll let you get another guy in if you want to. Um, and then we can get over to the NFL honors stuff. But Osiris Torrance had a really good week. Um, I thought he looked like he played a little bit heavy during the season. Um you know, watch the tape against Georgia. Um, thought he played a little heavier than he than he should have. He he looked a little bit lighter this week. Looked a little quicker. Um, thought he had a really good week. I think he solidified his stock as a first as 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 guard. I really IOL one and a first rounder this week. Um, thought he had a really good week. Where you have Peter Skronsky is he's going to be on most people's tackle boards. So I'm not going to count it as an IOL, but um, Torrance had a really good week. Um, grad transfer from. Uh, Louisiana played at Florida this year. Um, but yeah, had a good had a good week. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm like, similar to you. I, I didn't get a chance to watch a ton of Senior Bowl stuff throughout this week and weekend. Um, you know, similar to you, I've, I've got tons of school stuff going on, but I'm definitely going to do it on Saturday, and I'm sure we'll be showing showing each other clips left and right um, during the Super Bowl on Sunday. So, um, but yeah, overall, Senior Bowls always really exciting, um, and a really good week for the running backs. Okay, we for the receivers again lack some lack the big name kind of eye popping allure that you get there sometimes, but um solid week overall and I'll let you get one more guy in there if you want we can get over to the uh, NFL honors predictions for us. Yeah, for sure it was definitely um like you said a little bit different senior bowl the game wasn't I feel like it wasn't talked about as much as normally in years past um likely due to like you said lacking the star name. Uh, but shout out Jacorian Bennett, uh, the Maryland guy, corner. He had a interception in the game for, I believe, the national team he was on. Um, and he played really solid. You know, Maryland has two solid corners. And, you know, both of them were kind of mid-round picks. But, you know, him definitely having the pick to seal the game is huge with tons of scouts there. Um, so shout out him. He had a uh, overall good game and pretty solid season there. For the Terps. So I guess that was pretty much it. I just want to touch on those three guys uh, mainly. But with that, that's pretty much going to wrap up Senior senior Bowl recap. Um, I'm going to shift on over here to the NFL Honors, which, like I said, is going to be just in a couple days, about 49 and a half hours until it premieres. Um, yeah, we can just alternate through this. If we want to start however order you want, you can kick us off and then we'll kind of go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of go in um, ascending order of, like, prestige, if you will. Um, so I, I got my comeback player of the year is Christian McCaffrey. Um, could have could have been Saquon. It's a weird thing with comeback player of the year is, like, there's no, there's no like, cri- like media, like, known criteria for it. Like, wait, is Geno eligible? Because he played last year, he just didn't actually play, you know what I mean? Um, could have been... Saquon or Gino, I think what Christian McCaffrey did it in the latter part of the year. Obviously, if you could, if two guys have really good halves of the season, the guy who has the better second half is always going to win just because of recency bias, and that's just how it kind of is. Um, 
But what McCaffrey did then the latter of the season for that San Francisco offense, um, being able to go, what, 7-0, and 8-0 to end the year, six of those with Brock Purdy, so um, at quarterback. So I, th- I think he gets the not a comeback player of the year, um, just the dynamic ability he brings to the game in, in all facets as a running back and as a pass catcher. So I'm uh, going to go with McCaffrey here for comeback player of the year for me. Yeah, I agree. He's my guy, too. CMC is the comeback player of the year. Like you said, Gino and Saquon are two guys that definitely deserving and played really well. But what McCaffrey did, not only on the field, but for his team, like you said, you know, not losing a game until that final the NFC Championship against the Eagles in which they had a slew of injuries and were really never in it from the jump. Um, you know, McCaffrey proved to be incredibly valuable there, especially when Elijah Mitchell went down. McCaffrey stepped up, um, was definitely the bell cow there. In what was already a loaded skill off skill position offense, um, the fit there is impeccable. It's definitely the place for him. He goes back home to his Stanford Stanford days in college. So yeah, a perfect fit for him, and I definitely think he should win this award. Uh, coach of the year, I got the New York Giants head coach Brian Dable. Um, you know, a lot of the times you see first year head coach kind of sputter a little bit, and you don't normally see them get quite to the get off quite to the jump that they had hoped or others had hoped for. Um, but, you know, I think Dable exceeded most expectations. I don't remember what their final regular season record was. Uh, nonetheless, avenging your Christmas day, Christmas Eve loss to the Vikings in Minnesota. I mean, the, the, the one on Christmas Eve, they lost in like a 61 yarder, which was great for the Vikings. I mean, it's not like they legit lost the game I and mean, that's just a great kick. Um, now, Brian Dable did a really, really good job. He made really good hires, including, you know, D.C. Wink Martindale. Um, they drafted pretty solid. Uh, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal both provided for them this season and stayed fairly healthy. Um, but, yeah, winning a playoff game in year one, regardless of if it's the NFC or AFC, um, is definitely impressive. And, you know, they played the best in the best division this season and still came out, made it to divisional round. And so props to him. I know there were a lot of, you know, first-year head coaches – because that's normally the coaches that uh, are considered for this award if they do, um, you know, produce at a high level. And for him to be a finalist for this just goes to show how much he did for that franchise, for the city, for the team, uh, for all Giants fans. And so I think he's definitely deserving. I'm with you there with Dable as coach of the year. Um, talk about a team that was supposed to be picking one overall this year, picking Bryce Young. Um, not only – exceeds those expectations. It wins, wins nine games, gets to the playoff in the NFC as a wild card team, um, wins a playoff game. I think he is absolutely changing the culture there in New York. And I think they are on a massive upward trajectory. Um, defense rookie of the year. I got sauce Gardner. This was a pretty easy one. I think kind of from, for the most, so of the, of the next five, we've got defensive and offensive rookie of the year, defensive player, of the year, offensive player, of the year, and MVP. Four of these five are chalk, I think, and are pretty, discernible picks i think there's there's one that i think is debatable and, and i think we do differ on um and then obviously coach of the year comeback player of the year is kind of a for mostly debate right now um the defense rookie there sauce gardner was an easy pick um you know i don't, I don't have the stats in front of me i don't think he allowed a single touchdown all year or at least he didn't really i think he maybe allowed one per pff or whatever but um i think the play when it was broken down by a couple people it was like he really wasn't his fault they were on a cover three and um, whatever. But regardless um, of the stats, the guy was a lockdown corner all year. Um, he was a top five corner in, in, in football, arguably a top three corner in the NFL all year uh, in his first season with the Jets. Um, 
absolutely was a, a large part of that defense kind of flipping the switches here and almost carrying them to a playoff victory for being or playoff berth, if we're being honest. So um, really impressive year from Sauce. I expect nothing less going forward from him. Um, this guy's going to be a perennial all pro um, for his whole career, I think. Yeah, definitely balled out. Uh, saw in a redraft. He went number one overall to the Jags. So definitely. The redraft was awful, uh, by the way. It was. Him going once, part. right? It was horrible. Yeah, it was terrible. But, uh, yeah, Sauce, like you said, balled out. Um, really, really impressive year this year and what was one of the better corner duos. Um, so he's definitely deserving. There's not many other defender rookies um, that come in and play at all-pro level year one. So especially as a corner, you know, that's one of the more valuable, more um, tough positions to play snap to snap. Um, so it's really a testament to him and how he – took his game from college to the NFL level. And, um, you know, I thought he was really deserving of this. And I think it's definitely going to be him, you know, holding the trophy on Thursday night. Um, but for offensive rookie of the year, this is the one out of the seven awards that we differ on. Um, yep. You know, I had to sw- switch it up a little bit. Unfortunately, most of the awards are pretty much chalk, or at least we sure hope they are. Um Bonds of rookie year, I'm going with Kenneth Walker. Uh, I think he did miss a couple games, the running back for the Seahawks. But he was just really stout for them. You know, behind the rebuilt offensive line, they drafted incredibly well. You know, with Tariq Woolen, um, Charles Cross, Abe Lucas. They had a really good offense. You know, Geno came around this year. They obviously have two good receivers in Lockett and DK Metcalf. So I think, obviously, Garrett Wilson is another um, – really good candidate. I think they picked the right three guys for this award. I just like what Kenneth brought to the Seahawks to help round out that offense as a whole, um, you know, provided a really good change of pace for when Gino was throwing, uh, you know, Gino led the league in completion percentage. But if you know, they were stalling a little bit, you give it to Kenneth, he can get you four or five a run. And that was huge for them. And I think that won them a few games having that running back. They could really get him a lot. You know, Rashad Penny and there are a couple others that I'm missing in the past that haven't quite had that extra gear that Kenneth does. I mean, he's stout, he's pretty solidly built, and he can still run as fast as hell. So I think he was overall really, really solid. He had high yards per carry, high total yards, um, and just brought a lot to that Seattle offense. So I'm going with him for the offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, I think he had a great, great year. I think had it not been for the hernia that sidelined him early, and kept him from starting from day one. I think he'd have won the award if you if you kind of project those stats across. Um, I got my guys Garrett Wilson in, in this one. Um, I think despite the horrendous quarterback play in New York, Garrett Wilson was a stabilizing presence on that offense. Um, not only that, he was a leader for that offense vocally uh, and, and with his play. Um, rarely do you see rookies come in at you know 21, 22 years old and do that. Um, carry themselves the way Garrett did. Um, play at the level that Garrett did. I think you go into next year feeling really confident. You have a bona fide wide receiver one in Garrett Wilson going forward um, for whoever the quarterback is there next year. Obviously, it can be Zach Wilson or, or Joe Flacco or Mike White, but whoever the quarterback might be, Aaron Rodgers, um, has a wide receiver one in Garrett Wilson. And uh, I just thought what he did this year was was really impressive. Um, I've pulled up the numbers here, which I can do fairly quickly. Um, overall, I again, I just I think he – you know, goes for 1,100 yards as a rookie, 83, 83 receptions, only four touchdowns. But again, that Jets offense may have scored like, what, eight passing touchdowns all year, it felt like. So 
Um, 1,100 through the year, receiving 83 receptions, 13.3 reception. Um, a guy who, who, I mean, won him the Browns game, right? He gets the, he gets a touchdown and two-point conversion late in the game. And then a guy who kept him in a lot of games offensively. So, um, obviously, I'm a big fan of Garrett Wilson um, being, a, being an Austin kid down the road from us. Um, but definitely going to be my offensive rookie. The guy who I think will, I think is the betting favorite. I don't know what the odds are. I don't want to pull him up or anything like that because it'll take me too long to find the right odds. But I think he is the odds-on favorite right now. So I picked all the odds-on favorites. I guess I'm lame. But most of these are Chuck, like you said. Um, defensive player of the year, I got Nick Bosa. Led the league of sack, led the league in sacks at, what, 18 and a half? Um, just had a dominant year. He was finally healthy for a full season, it felt like. Um, you felt like both Bosa brothers had never really been healthy. Um, it feels like every year you get the, the guy who wins defensive player of the year, it feels like is the edge rusher that stays the elite edge rusher that stays the healthiest. Um, so again, Nick Bosa win it this year seems pretty shock. I mean, Micah, obviously it was in the conversation, but I think what Nick did, um, stats wise is really impressive. Now I'll say this. I think Micah Parsons is the most valuable defensive player in football or one of, I think he might be more valuable to the Cowboys than Nick Bosa is to the Niners. But defensive player of the year should absolutely go to Nick Bosa, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Pretty much covered it. Um, you know, 18 and a half sacks, balled out in the playoffs, had a really big impact um, when the lights were the brightest. And, you know, he's just really, really consistent. He has what it takes, obviously, playing on a loaded defense. Uh, doesn't hurt. But, yeah, I mean, he should definitely win the award. Really deserving. Um, not much else to say. He was a, one of the, you know, centerpieces on what was a loaded roster for the most part in San Francisco. Um, but my offensive player of the year is a guy that led the league in receiving yards, I believe with about 1800 and Justin Jefferson, um, you know, playing with Kirk cousins is not too bad. If you're, you know, a receiver, uh, he does like to throw the ball a lot. And while he isn't always the most accurate, he definitely gets you the ball a lot. Uh, I wonder how many targets Justin Jefferson had this year. But nonetheless, he he was the best receiver in the league this season. Uh, Tyreek Hill also has a pretty strong case. While well, I still think Devontae Adams is the best in the league uh, this season, I think it was Justin Jefferson. You know, just what he did, the separation he creates, the contested catch and catches he makes, um, they're fairly unique. And that's value that, you know, not many guys bring to a roster. And so for that reason, I mean, I'm going with him as my offensive rookie. I think he'll win it. I bet he's the favorite. Um but, yeah, he's my guy, and I really liked him from day one. It was really confusing. Think about if the Eagles didn't take Jalen Rager, uh, they'd be having Justin Jefferson on that team too. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that offense? I mean, they probably would have A.J. Brown, but, like, dude. Right. Can you imagine them with with Justin Jefferson? Um, no, he's my pick as well. He led, he led the league in every receiving statistic there was. Um the guy was absolutely the most valuable offensive player, quarterback aside, on his team. I mean, you take him off that team. I mean, Adam Thielen did not have a great year. There's a reason he didn't get thrown out that much. Obviously, they acquired Hawkinson midseason, but like, I mean, Justin Jefferson was a a safety blanket for Kirk Cousins, which you rarely see at outside receiver. Usually, that's like a checkdown running back or a tight end, right, or a, a slot receiver. You don't see that out of an outside receiver like Justin Jefferson. So, um, you know, he dominated all year. He, he single-handedly won him the Bills game, it felt like. Um, time after time, he came up with huge receptions. The fourth and 18 catch, probably the catch of the year, just what he did, how he did it, um, situation and stakes. So 
Um, pretty easy pick for offensive player of the year for me. And then my MVP, um, this one may be the easy. Well, okay. Aside from Sauce Gardner's defense rookie of the year, this is the easiest pick for me as the MVP and Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, lost their best receiver um, in the offseason and, and he didn't miss a beat. Obviously, him and Travis Kelsey's probably the most potent quarterback pass catching duo in, in football or pass catcher duo in football. Um, Going to be an all time great duo in, in the history of the league, I think. Um, both guys have the potential to go down as you know, the best ever play their position. Obviously it's early for both those guys, but still, um, but no, I think what Pat did this year, um, obviously the voting was done before the playoffs, but the gutsy performance, um, to stay in against, staying against the, the Jaguars and then to play the way he did against the Bengals, um, really impressive. So just overall, um, an impressive year for Mahomes. statistically he had a great, I think he led the league in, all the passing categories again. So um, again, an easy pick for me here with, with Pat Mahomes winning the second MVP. Yeah, no doubt. I think he'll win it too. Here's my pick um, as we round out these NFL honors predictions. Um, yeah, I think he had 41 passing touchdowns in the regular season, which was pretty solid. Uh, obviously, Travis Kelsey, like you said, pretty solid running back production from the sixth rounder, Isaiah Pacheco. Um, you know, really good change of pace in that offense that they haven't had since Mahomes has been there. Um, I mean, there's not much else to say in terms of the candidates. Hertz is a guy that is a finalist because of how good the Eagles were and how consistent he was. Um, but you look at Mahomes, I mean, even this past week against Cincinnati, you have McCole Hardman go down, you have MVS go down, you have Juju go down, and you, I think you even have Tony go down as well. Um, so really your entire receivers receiving group pretty much goes down and, he Mahomes obviously hurt still. Um, you know, people that know me know I'm not a huge Mahomes fan. Um, but definitely what he did was uh, pretty cool beating the team I don't like too much. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a fairly easy pick overall uh, for the voters. And I think it'll be Mahomes taking home his second MVP. Um, and I think to round out the event, I think they also have some like minor, more minor awards like catch of the year, game of the year, stuff like that. Um, yeah, like play play of the year, that kind of thing. Assistant coach of the year. Fan, yeah, like fan of the year. I think they have like executive of the year, which is Howie Long, by the way, or Howie Long, Howie Roseman. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Walter Payton Man of the Year is an award that rounds out the event, uh, given to just the best player. So there's one player from each team that's nominated. Normally, it's a different player each season. Sometimes you see some repeats. Um. But definitely, you know, probably the most prestigious award in terms of, you know, just being the best off the field in the community, stuff like that. Um, so while all the other awards are on field stuff, it's definitely cool to see who ends up taking home Walter Payton. And they normally have a pretty cool speech as well. Uh, so that's going to pretty much wrap up the NFL honors prediction segment of the NFL. Uh, to round out the episode, we are going to touch on about three or four head coach or assistant or head coaching hires that we had this week. I don't believe we had any head coaching hires. I believe these are all assistant coaching. The head coaching uh, spots that are still open, I believe, are Arizona, Indianapolis, and is that it? That's it. Yeah, that's it. Still nothing there on either front. So I think we had three defensive coordinator hirings, if I'm not mistaken. I'm trying to think yes, of them. Yes, I'm getting that third one there right now. I, it's um, Vikings made a hire, Niners made a hire, Saints made a hire. Right, so the Vikings hired, obviously, former Dolphins head coach Brian Flores as their D.C. I think he was on the Pittsburgh Steelers staff this past season. 
a uh, really good hire for them for Minnesota. I mean, obviously they have solid players on that defense, Harrison Smith, Darius Smith, Daniel Hunter, uh, just to name a couple, but it should be fun to see what he does with that defense. I think he's a really, really, um, you know, well-known and reputable assistant coach, especially uh, a DC. And I think he will get a shot as a head coach uh, someday again, whether that's, you know, next year or a few years down the road, I guess it remains to be seen, but definitely a good hire by Minnesota there to help shore up their defenses. They're probably going to have a couple rookies starting on that front next season. Yeah. Um, it's, I think it's a great hire. Um, I, I thought B flow was a great coach in Miami. Um, Thought he was. I think what what ha, ultimately what he was his downfall is he, the moral compass. Okay, well, I guess we can debate about whether or not he was being truthful about the stuff he reported, but like he didn't want to stand for what Stephen Ross wanted to do in Miami, and he wasn't okay with it. And so I think, um, you know, whether or not he be, he had coaches again, I hope he does. I think he's worthy of it. Do the NFL owners let it happen collectively? I don't know. Is he like blackballed per se or whatever you want to call it? Maybe. I hope not. I would. I surely would. I would hope not because B-Flow is an awesome coach. I thought he was a great head coach for Miami. Um, but I think this is a great hire for the Vikings as their DC. Um, brings in an experienced mind into the into the room with young a young head coach in Kevin O'Connell. I think, um, you know, you've seen you've now seen a lot of these teams with young head coaches bring in coaches that are that are experienced or have worked under very experienced coaches and have had an opportunity to, you know, do what they, what they've been doing for a long time. Um, you know, B flow coming in, in, um, in Minnesota, um, Vic Fangio being officially named the DC in Miami for Mike, uh, for Mike McDaniel. Um, so again, it's, it's kind of a theme you're seeing, but again, B flow is a great hire, uh, in Minnesota. Um, the 49ers also made a, a phenomenal hire defense coordinator guy is going to be a head coach in maybe a year or two max um, in former Panthers interim head coach, Steve Wilkes um, Niners bringing him on as their defensive coordinator. Um, for, I think this is maybe the best, one of the best coordinator hires of the offseason. Um, and obviously the B flow, the Vic Fangio hires awesome. Um, but this Steve Wilkes hire is going to be, I'm telling you right now, he's going to be a head coach in two, in two years max. Um, I mean, Robert Sala, D'Amico Ryan's are the last two defensive coordinators in, in San Francisco. Both are now head coaches uh, and both were, probably the most highly coveted head coaches of their cycles respectively um, or one of in their respective cycles. So um, I think this is a great hire. And I think Wilkes is um, the head of man of a team in the next two years, like I said. Yeah, for sure. Another uh, solid 49ers hire to run the defense on Kyle Shanahan's staff. Uh, You look at, you know, they had Robert Sala. He went out two years ago this year. D'Amico Ryans is out. So if the pattern keeps going, uh, Steve Wilkes will be a head coach in the 2025 season. Um, So I guess we'll see what happens there, but definitely a solid hire. Um, I got one and then I'll let you round it out with the Saints hire. Uh, Tim Kelly was promoted from within the Tennessee Titans staff to offensive coordinator today. Um, You know, kind of flew under the radar for the most part, uh, but nonetheless a good hire and what seemed like a stagnant offense for most of the season. You know, obviously big questions at quarterback, really everywhere outside of you look at the rookie trail in Burks this past season and you look at Derrick Henry. Outside of that, Taylor Lewan's future is uncertain. You have a few other guys uncertain. Uh, I guess Ben Jones, the center, is another guy that's, you know, kind of locked down that offense. But him, Henry, and Burks, I mean, outside of that, you don't really have any surefire 
guys that you're going to put out there on the field week one. So a lot of questions in this offseason for Tennessee and expect a big regression from them next season. And I definitely think it might be a shock, but I think, I mean, it wouldn't be a shock if the Jags won the division, but if the Colts or Texans won the division, it would be a shock. But at the same time, I'd be like, yeah, I could see that because obviously we're all betting on the Jags to improve on what they had this season. But while that the division is normally towards the bottom of the league in terms of competition level, I definitely think we could see some high competition stuff coming out of the AFC South. Yeah, I mean, listen, if Houston gets the quarterback right and Tennessee gets a veteran quarterback in there that's not Ryan Tannehill, that's solid. Um, or sorry, yeah, they get a veteran quarterback in there and they can figure it out offensively. I think you're certainly going to see some competition out of the division. Indianapolis, again, who knows what's going to happen there with presumably Jeff Saturday as the head coach. I can't believe I'm saying that. But how they didn't hire Steve Wilkes, I don't know. Why Why didn't they? Whatever, man. I'm going to let that slide. Whatever. Jim Mercer is running that franchise into the ground right now, and I'm kind of laughing from afar. Um, interesting Interesting on Jim, on Tim, Jim, Tim Kelly. Um, passing game coordinator for the Titans last year, like you said. Um, been with the Texans since he got into the league. Um, quality control, quality, quality control and offensive line assistant, tight ends, OC, OC and quarterbacks, OC. Then he goes to Tennessee with passing game coordinator. You know who his brother is? Dennis Kelly. All right. The former. So they were never in Tennessee Titans together. Right but tackle. For, former. Yeah. In 20, he was there in 2020 was with the Packers uh, and last year with the Colts this past season. So they were never in Tennessee together. So they've never been on like the same, like in the same building, but obviously they've got some, they're way up in the air with their tackle situation this year. Lawan's getting cut. I mean, Taylor has been very open about like, Hey, I'm getting cut guys. Like it's happening on, on, on busting with the boys. So like interesting to see if the Tennessee maybe brings in Dennis is like a uh, little swing tackle. I think they're, they're going to draft a guy at what 11. So you can probably put that in pen in my opinion, unless they go for some reason, sign a tackle whatever um but it would not shock me if they brought in dennis kelly as a uh as a swing tackle he's got familiarity with the team he's with for four years so um really i guess five years because you're from 16 to, to 20 so um wouldn't surprise me it's kind of I, I didn't i literally looked up tim kelly to see what his path was because i forgot that happened earlier and it said Kelly's brother Dennis played offensive tackle for Purdue before being drafted. Blah blah blah. So that's funny. Um, and the last hire that we'll get to today, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, the hire I'm least thrilled about as a football fan, just as like an observer, is the Saints hiring Joe Woods to be their defense coordinator. The Cleveland, he's former Cleveland DC. That defense was god awful, and they have the, maybe the best defensive player in football in Miles Garrett, and one of the best corners in the league in Denzel Ward. That defense was horrendous they were terrible so not really sure what that one's about um chalk it up as a new, another new orleans saints l move in the last few years um they're bringing in Derek carr for like an like a like an interview type d i don't know there's no trade eminent apparently according to rap sheet but like i guess they're like a little recruiting visit i suppose that would be a, a horrendous move as well so i don't know what the saints are doing down there in new orleans man beats me yeah, Derek Carr taking his official visit there to the Saints. Um, OVs, man. We're doing OVs in the NFL now. Come on. What, uh-huh. are, we doing here? what are we doing? 
Come on. But honestly, Derek Carr going to New Orleans, I think, would be a really good spot for him to kind of revitalize his career and what was a down season. It makes a lot, but it yeah. makes a lot of sense. Like, the Saints are a really weird front office and a team overall. I mean, obviously, it goes to show you how much Sean Payton did for that franchise and, you know, what could be ahead for the Denver Broncos. Um, I know you wouldn't be a fan of it, um, but definitely Sean Payton's the guy to put with yeah. Russ after this past season. Um, no, absolutely, absolutely. But the Saints are just a real mystery. They obviously have a ton of cap issues with what they did, similar to the Rams. Um they got to get that resolved. They got to figure out what they're going to do on defense with Joe Woods over here, who has not done too much. But I mean, I don't know what else to say on it. He's going to the Saints to be the DC. Don't know how well he's going to do. I guess we'll find out if he's there in 2024. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Four coaching hires, three defensive, one offensive uh, this upcoming week. For next Tuesday's episode, episode 38, I'm sure we'll have a few more. We're going to have a lot of cuts next week, a lot of you know, trying to get under the cap in the next four weeks after the Super Bowl concludes. But to round out the episode, like we normally do, uh, we're going to finish it with ice bath here. I'll kick us off real quick before I let you uh, round out the episode here. But yeah, I'll start it off here. I got an MLB um, announcement here. The MLB today, or I believe it was yesterday, actually, announced rule changes uh, for this upcoming season uh, after their, you know, owners or coaching meetings, whatever they normally hold in the off season, similar to the NFL. They finalized the votes and stuff on their meetings and, you know, what they're going to implement for the upcoming season, which starts, I believe, March 30th is opening day where every team plays. Uh, there will be a revised pitch timer. So it'll be 15 seconds with the bases empty and 20 seconds with runners on base with any runner. It could be one, two or three runners. They get an extra five seconds between pitches. In addition, there has to now be at least two infielders on each side of a second base. Uh, there's going to be a dotted a line, not actually an imaginary line drawn from home plate through the pitcher's mound through second base to center field. And there has to be two infielders on each side of that line, and they have to be in the dirt. They cannot be. They can obviously creep up into the infield grass or turf or whatever it is but they cannot play back into the outfield grass, which should be interesting. You know, a lot of guys that are pole hitters, are, you're going to see their average take quite a boost here. Um, and what was, you know, I thought already, I thought already a hitter-friendly league for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I mean, lastly, uh, base d- dimensions are going to be increased from 15 by 15 to 18 by 18. So a little bit bigger. Uh it isn't a huge deal, but definitely could matter for really close plays at first, especially or at home. I'm not sure if home's getting too much bigger, um, mainly first, second, and third, I think, of the 15 to 18. Hopefully, these rules will likely be implemented into the NCAA in the following season, which will be 2024. As it normally goes, the college level is a year behind the MLB in terms of rules implementations. Um, so I know I would really like to see this for college. Huge fan of college baseball. Starts up here. In 10 days, um, so I think it'd be fun to see, especially not playing a shift. Uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of guys boost their draft stock when, you know, there's not a guy right where they hit it most of the time. So that's just something I wanted to touch on here as we're not talking about baseball yet. Uh, we're still about, you know, six, seven weeks out from opening day. And, you know, obviously college baseball is coming up sooner, but it's not conference play for another month and a half as well. Um, So I'll let you round out the episode with your ice bath and then we'll call it a day.
Yeah, I'm excited for these rule changes real quick. I, I, I'm, I like it. I think player safety is a big one with the bases getting bigger. The pitch clock's huge. Um, and, and the shift being banned, I, I think, is is awesome. Um, just better for the game. It's a little more pure that way. Um, pull hitters going to get their way a little bit early. Lefties is a big one. A lot of lefties are getting screwed with the shift. So I'm excited to see that. But my, uh, my ice bath this week, obviously, going to be non-sports related with my hot take being uh, sports related. But um, actually, immediately following this. I've got fajita night here in my house, in my apartment, I should say, not a house. I live in an apartment. Um, we've got, uh, we do have fajita night. Bought a little flank steak. Uh, really good, really good price on the flank steak at uh, the Lubbock HEB this week or weekend rather. Um, this past weekend, so pick that up. Got it marinating in like a chimichurri-like uh, marinade. A lot of, a lot of cilantro, a lot of lime juice. Um, but yeah. Um, I've been marinating since about 1, 1 p.m. ish today, and uh, I'm very excited to have this afterwards. I'm gonna go throw it on the uh, throw it on the grill. Um, should be great. A little couple tortillas, maybe some some sautéed onions, be just quality. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. I'm ready to go eat. Um, been a long damn hungry. Been a long two days, honestly. It's Tuesday. It feels like it should be a Thursday. It feels like we should be recording like tonight or tomorrow morning for like position rankings but it's tuesday and i hate that for myself so um I, i'm right. sure you feel the same way with a long week for school as well but um ready to go get some fajitas after this make it all right and all well um wake up tomorrow morning full of fajitas and ready to go for a nice wednesday um hump day of the week but uh kind of wraps up the cold seat podcast today episode 37 coming at you on friday we've got our tight end position rankings i know i'm excited about it i know you're excited about it brett it's a loaded class um should be really fun to see how kind of we each had a tight end five i think is kind of what we're looking at now is who we've got there rounding out the group um i'm excited for it but i'll let you cap us off any other last things you want to talk about and then uh, we'll get out of here yeah for sure tight ends are definitely a position of interest for me i don't think the ravens go that direction this this draft haven't drafted two last in the 2022 draft um nonetheless a loaded group like you said should be fun to watch and yeah i think that pretty much wraps up episode 37 here today on the cold seat podcast uh, we'll see y'all on friday for the tight end rankings and then the following tuesday for a normal episode um follow us on social media on twitter and instagram at cold seat podcast and eat some sweet potatoes while you're at it um you know diced baked however you want about to go have some diced so maybe i'll leave a review but yeah have y'all a good day and yeah, eat some sweet potatoes, and we'll see y'all in with, three days. With, with, with some fajitas, by the way. Have it with the fajitas. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's a good combo right there. Yeah. All right, we'll see you guys on Friday.